We are on the 495 podcast. I am your host, Nick Esposito, with my partner in crime, Michael White. And today, special guest, Dana Cavalea, former Yankees strength and conditioning coach. As you mentioned before, you got a new book that's out, and then hopefully we're going to get to the bestseller. We're also on Facebook Live. We're located at the Steam Room in Port Jefferson. And beautiful downtown Port Jefferson. <laughs> beautiful downtown Port Jefferson. And Dana, who's also a Mount Sinai native, will kind of will kind of pick his brain a little bit about his time with the Yankees, growing up in this area, his new book, and all the fun stuff. Were you a Yankees fan growing up? Yeah, man. I, I grew up a Yankees fan. Um, you know, my dad, lifelong Yankee fan. And... Um, yeah, I guess you could say it was in the blood, right, you know, right. so so it was uh, kind of surreal because when I first started with the team, we used to go to games and sit in the uh, traffic on 495 trying to get to the stadium. And, uh, you know, I used to get there. We used to sit up in the nosebleed section. Sure. You know, it's just kind of what it was. Yeah. So your time with the Yankees, you spent 12 years with them. You said you started as an intern and then, you know, worked your way up to be the director of strength and conditioning. And you were with the team during the 2009 World Series run. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, had I made, read up a little bit. I know you did your research. You I like that. in the back of the book. Yeah. I like I like that. Hey, whatever it takes. In 40 minutes, I'm old news. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no but uh, for me, I decided to, you know, get out of this area, actually, right uh, as I was finishing my first year of college and decided to go to Florida, you know, just try something new. And I knew that there was a lot of professional athletes down there. And at the time growing up here, I had never seen a professional athlete, you know, walking around town, ex except for maybe a local baseball guy like Paul Gibson or Frank Catalanato. Mm. But, um, but other than that, you know, I decided to get out of here, you know, try some different things, see what else was out there. And, and that's when I, I started my professional career. Were you involved uh, with, uh with athletic training at, the, at that point? No, I, I was just training myself as a as a as a as a player. You were and, an athlete. Uh, yeah, and I went to the University of South Florida, and that's when I decided to actually stop playing and get involved with strength and conditioning and performance because oh, wow. I realized for myself how it took my talent to the next level. Right, I was only so talented, and then with my training, I went up another few notches. Again, I wasn't good enough to get to the pros by the standards of Major League Baseball, but but I found another way to get there. So I actually started working with a football team, Division One, at uh, the University of South Florida. You backdoored it. Yeah, I backdoored it. Hey, whatever it takes, man. And, um, and it was a lot of fun because I had seen these freshmen coming in to play football, Division One down in Florida. They were massive. They were the biggest human beings I've ever seen because I was coming from seeing football players at Mount Sinai High School. <laughs> that looked like us. You know, that looked yeah. like all of us. Yeah. You know, so... So it was a, it was an amazing experience and you know uh, great start of the journey. And, and were you were you always into working out in high school? Were you always like you know were you the gym rat back? Yeah, then? you know like we were talking about earlier. You know your your old gym teacher in middle school, yeah. Billy King, kind of got me started in in my training journey. And and I just loved the fact that you could do something and see like an immediate change in your body, right? You could yeah. eat something and feel different, you could train and look different. Mm -hmm. And I kind of became fascinated with, with that. And then when I started to learn of like, you could also change how you perform with those two strategies, it was something that was, was pretty cool and, and it really opened my mind up. To, to a whole new world. So when you were working with uh, you know the college football team down, down in Florida, where you was the ultimate goal is I, I want to 
be a director of strength and conditioning for a football or any profession? Yeah, when I first started, I think I was selfishly there to figure out maybe I'm missing something and I can, you know, get better myself here and maybe I'm missing some techniques. So I was there selfishly to acquire um, more knowledge, how to, how to train, how to get people better uh, physically, how to rehab. And um, the way my Yankee journey kicked off was I, uh, I knew that the team was coming down in February to, to play for spring training. And I knew that Legends Field at the time, now Steinbrenner Field, was only about 10 miles away from my school. So I would literally drive up there. I drove up one day. I uh, parked about a mile and a half away because I couldn't pay for the parking. You know, I was still working. You know, I was still in college. I didn't yeah, really can't have any pay money. for anything other than yeah. Find money for beer though. So yeah, somehow. although I do have a, a, a I, I actually began my 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 real career in college. Worked was working as a guy on the back of the tram at Bush Gardens. Oh, you know, nice. welcoming people to the park. <laughs> tram guy, fantastic. Yeah, I'm the tram guy. <laughs> no, so you know, this one day in February, I go up to Yankee uh, the Yankees field down there. And uh, I'm, I'm literally watching the team practice, you know, do their team stretch. And I'm taking pictures. And here it is February. I'm in palm trees, T-shirt, shorts. And everybody home is, you know, freezing their asses off. <laughs> so what I did was I was just taking a bunch of pictures, sending them home, sending them home, sending them home. And I, that day I had to go back to my internship at the University of South Florida. And uh, I get called in the office. So I think I'm in trouble here. Um, so the guy, Ron McKeefer was his name, the head strength guy, said, hey, Dana, listen, I just got a call from the Yankees head strength coach. Uh, I told him we had a guy down here from New York, and he asked if I would have anybody, meaning you, interested in interning, basically handing out towels, handing out water. So he just spotted you? And cleaning the place. Did you have a conversation with this guy when you were No, nothing. It just happened to be a circumstance how, that how he was looking for somebody. Because in years past, he had reached out to the school to see if there was anybody that can just help out a little bit. Mm. And um, it was kind of just perfect timing. Right how, place, right How it right worked wow. out. I did nothing that day outside of show up. The day and you take got plucked pictures. from obscurity. <laughs> it, was, it was a big day. And, and literally wow. the next day when I went up there, I had a spot up front, which was great because mm -hmm. I didn't have to walk a mile and a half. And also... We're semi-outdoors here in Port Jeff, so you're going to hear the, the uh, Port Jeff Ferry, Ferry, Ferry horn go off every once in a while. There you go. Now the guy's, he's looking at us. He's just messing with us now. The fastest way to Connecticut. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, you know, that, that next day when I showed up, I had a parking spot. I walk in the main office. They ask me, you know, hey, are you Dana Cavalier? I said, yeah. They throw a credential around my neck, C for clubhouse, F for field access. They throw me in Yankees gear. And next thing you know, that same field I'm taking a picture of wow. a day wow. earlier, I'm now in the middle of, and I, I have this vivid, you know, visual of Andy Pettit, Roger Clemens, and all those guys just running by me. And I'm just like, is this really happening? <laughs> that's amazing. But that's wild, man. It was, it was totally crazy because I'm 19 years old at the time. Yeah. You know, and most of my, uh, you know, degenerate friends are either <laughs> at college, you know, losing their minds or are back at home and said, I'm not going to college and I'm going to go work. Yeah. And uh, lo losing their minds as well. So here I am in the middle of the field. Messing around with the Yankees. Yeah. Mind very much intact. Yeah. So, so at, at what point did you uh, say they reached out to you and wanted to bring you in kind of full time? It's very like casual, like, hey, come up when you can. We'd love to have you. Mm -hmm. So I was I happen to be a pretty good student. Um, and I I just went up every day because I knew that whatever I learned in school was no way going to be, you know, as good as what I was going to learn being sure. there every day. Right. And I 
I was always big on, um, you know, you sit around the Italian table long enough as a kid and you realize how important conversation is, getting to know people, relationships. And um, that's what I focused on. So I would show up to hand out those towels. I'd also show up to talk to the guys and get to know them mm -hmm. and not ask them for anything. Ingratiate yourself. Ingratiate yourself. Yeah, 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 exactly. As soon as my buddies, even my father, found out, you're working with the Yankees? Well, you better get pictures. You know, you, <laughs> better, you, better, get you, you better get the autographs. <laughs> you better get this. And I'm like, yeah, yeah. okay, that would be probably the fastest way for this experience to end <laughs> yes, very quickly. Right, yeah. uh, so I didn't ask for any of that. You, you, always, you always have that one uncle, though. It's like, how are you not oh, yeah. getting all this? Yeah, 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 you yeah. played the long game. Now, now you have A-Rod writing testimonials for, for your books. Yeah, well, what was crazy, too, you know, along my journey, I remember, I mean, there's countless times, you know, after practice, I'd be a, a little routine was, you know, Jorge Posada became one of my really close friends. And his best friend is Derek Jeter, so he becomes a close friend. Mm. You know, just after practice, shower up and go for lunch, right? So we'd end up going to P.F. Chang's and all these different restaurants. And yeah. then right after that, we'd go to the movies. And I would always sit back and I'd look around the entire restaurant staring at our table. I knew they weren't staring at me. <laughs> they may have been and saying, how the fuck did that <laughs> get to that table? But, but ultimately... Um, I would always step back and say, how cool is this, man? These guys that I watched playing as a kid, I'm at the table with them, and we're hanging out. We're talking about everything from, you know, baseball to life to just joking around, busting into the shops. And then an hour later, here we all are sitting in a movie theater, matinee, Tampa Bay, middle of the day. Nobody's work, Nobody's there. It's just us. And we're all hanging out watching a movie. You know, half of us are passed out, exhausted, you know. Yeah. And I just always thought that was that was really cool. Those were some cool memories. Yeah. Good at the time. Yeah, 19 years old. So Unreal. I was bred in pinstripes at that point. You know, my formative years as I was going through college and I was going through my, my early years of work, you know, I was being groomed by, by some of the greatest players ever to play the game. Now, when you're the uh, strength and conditioning coach of the New York Yankees, do you end up in the in the paper do you end up being mentioned on the radio yeah um, absolutely you, you and, and you, when you when, certainly when do you know a couple a couple times you know number one is when a player um is rehabbing mm -hmm. and on his way back and you're actually in charge of you know a rod you know coming off hip surgery and you're out there getting him back or a player gets injured and and now they're in the rehabilitative process uh and you're overseeing their running program and you're so, yeah, you get in the paper quite a bit for that. Mm. Um, How much you, shit do you get? Well, you don't get the shit in, until players start getting hurt. Right. Yeah. So if you're responsible for or, you know, the fingers being pointed at you, typically by the fans more so than the organization. Like, mm. they're a really supportive organization. Yeah, I had a question on this, but I want yeah. to finish. And, um, but it's more the fans that create this um, hype, you know, that it's the strength coach or it's this yeah. guy that's responsible for the injuries. But what that does oftentimes is it takes a lot of responsibility off the player who maybe didn't sleep the night before, maybe dehydrated, hmm. maybe dealing with something that he doesn't tell anyone about and the game, it just goes. So, you know, the, the, the media attention, and I'm, I'm still very good friends with most of the media because whenever they would need something, I'd take care of them. Uh, they're good guys. They have a job to do. But they didn't look to bury anybody, yeah. you know. But sometimes things would... With, when, when there's rash, a rash of injuries, fans want to know what the heck's going on. Right, right. You know? I remember uh, I was just talking to, with Nick on the way up here today. I think it was when Art Howe was the manager of the Mets. They had a couple of springs where they had a lot of injuries, and all of a sudden, 
everyone started pointing their fingers at the strength and conditioning coaches. Yeah, and, and listen. And I, had, I was curious how real that is. It's, it's, it's very real. And, you know, um, what I will say about strength and conditioning coaches and athletic trainers is this. is like you show up to work every day not wanting guys to get hurt. You're not there to get guys hurt. Actually, your job is to get these guys physically ready to play and, and prepare each day. Yeah. So you know you don't want to get them hurt. You're not. That's never that, your intent. That's your job. That's yeah. your job is to keep them healthy, but most importantly, keep them performing at a high level. So nobody goes into the job saying, you know, let me hurt, get somebody hurt. Right. Today. So you know. So if you have a team that two, three years in a row are getting, you know, seeing a lot of injuries, is that yeah. any way legit to, to to even look at the strength and conditioning coaches? Well, I think opinion? it's 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 legit to look at everybody at, mm -hmm. at that point, including just the, the group of players that you've brought in. Because sometimes you have, what I learned is this, you have players that are more prone and have a higher predisposition to injury than other players. When you look at their medical history, I would say a player that's been hurt will be hurt again. A player that has not yet been hurt is probably the better player mm. in terms of, you know, they're not gonna break down as quickly. Yeah. Okay, so it's hard, it's hard to say, but when a team, Brian Cashman told me something I never forgot, and I, I wrote him a note in this book that says that. It says, uh, perception is reality in, in professional sports, and, and when the media magnetizes something, it's real. So whether it is the strength coach or not, whether it is the trainer or not, it is. <laughs> if that's the story and that's the narrative that's being created and fed. And I also say, you also have to know the rules of the game which I talked about earlier, is that, listen, you may be the guy that goes down because of a rash of injuries. Whether you're actually responsible or not, who knows? Right, right. But when you engage in employment in professional sports, what happens is the day you sign your contract, you actually take an hourglass with sand and you flip it upside down. And the sand moves at different paces and different speeds, right? Sometimes when players are getting hurt, it speeds up. When they're not getting hurt, it slows down. But ultimately, eventually, your hourglass will run out of sand. And that's just the way it is. Yeah. So when you sign that contract, just know that that's going to be the best day of your career with that organization. Mm. But there'll be a day that on the other side of that, that is not as great. But what helps is when you understand the game. And I, and I went into my career saying something really simple. You know, I worked under Joe Torre. That was my first manager. And when they let Joe go, I said, you know what? If they let Joe go, they're going to let anybody. Anybody can go in any right. sport at any time. So. Now that's something you get into in your book as well, right? Have it yeah. to a champion? Yeah. No, I talk, I talk a lot about that. You know, I talk about my, my personal journey. Mm. Um, the highs, the lows, the ups, the downs, the upside downs. It's all there. And how and would you describe this? And is this for, for athletes or is this for everyday life or both? Yeah, so my career, you know, I spent a lot of time obviously working with athletes, you know, the top performers in the world. And I also spent a lot of time working with some of the top business professionals in the world, you know, from finance to, to uh, you know, healthcare, you know, CEOs of tech, tech companies across the board. So I, I wanted to create a handbook, not a book where you read once, throw it on your shelf, never look at it again. But I wanted to create a handbook that could be referenced as you go through the emotional journey called life whether it's as an athlete, whether it's as a coach, or whether it's as a business person. Yep. I wanted to create a handbook that you could constantly reference that lets you know that what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, is just a part of the game that you play. 
Very cool. And um, I imagine this is stuff that you've been telling people for for years and years now. Yeah. Right? I've been telling people that for years. The secret yeah. sauce is in that book? Se- secret sauce, but what you'll see about how I write, um, and this is why, like, I, I had an editor, actually, that I sent the book to originally, and it was sent back to me looking like a completely different book. So I ripped the book back and brought it back to its original uh, original way and the, the original way that I wrote it because I didn't want to lose the tone. I didn't want to lose the realness. Yeah. And I didn't want to lose the passion that went with it. And that's what we're all about, too. Real people doing real things. People... people can smell bullshit mm. and, 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 and and there's and, a lot of it yeah and and people could tell what's authentic and what's what's genuine and people want that people don't want the same cookie cutter shit they can get that from anything else or they can go on instagram and get you know falsified uh imaging the filters yeah you know? every single day you yeah. know so and i think that that confuses people you know and you know when you talk to somebody at the highest level of business they started the same way as a person at the lowest level of business getting their ass kicked you know, yeah, dealing yeah. with the problems of staffing, dealing with the problems of, you know, money running out and figuring out how am I going to stay in business? All that's real. Yeah. I so I when you see people sugarcoating that, that that's not helping anybody. Right. It's not helping anybody. I like that. Yeah. I didn't mean to keep cutting you off. Um, I didn't even hear you. OK, good. <laughs> so uh, no, I heard uh, I heard like a inspirational video on YouTube a couple of months ago and the guy and I never heard this phrase before. The, the guy who said, uh. You know, a big shot is just a little shot that kept on firing. You know, yeah, I like which that. Which pretty much is exactly what you were saying. Man. It's 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 so true, man. Again, I, I'm, I, I reference one of my clients a lot, but he's building his fifth billion dollar company, with a B. Not bad. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and I, and I, I've been working with him for years, and I'm like, what's different about this guy? And and the one big difference is that he doesn't subscribe to any externals, right? He doesn't subscribe to the external noise of markets, of news, of uh, people. It's just, for him, he's going about his journey trusting his gut and moving the chains down the field. Mm -hmm. You know, and if more people did that, instead of trying to replicate and be like everybody else or everyone else's business, they'd have a lot easier ride, you know? It's like, this podcast is what it is. It's yours. It has to have the, the feel that you guys have mm-hmm. and can't be like somebody else's or else it wouldn't be yours. Right. It wouldn't be authentic. Yeah. Exactly. And the, the I was going to get into your book a little bit more. When did you get the idea to write it? How long ago was that? Um, actually, it was uh, it was right around April 2017. And I never... Your tenure was done with the Yankees at that point, right? Yeah. Yep. And um, it was 2017 and I... I I had no intention of ever writing a book, you know, but, but I read so many shitty ones that I said, you know what, I want to put something on, on paper here that people can actually read and feel good about themselves when they're done, but not, not feel good about themselves where I'm just kind of telling them how great they are. Feel a little more confident in themselves. Yeah, but feel like, yeah, I'm on the right pace. I'm yeah, on the yeah, right yeah. track, you know, because yeah. how many books do we read? And we put it down, and like we feel good, but we're like, "Wow, I'm really far away from where I need to be." Right, right. And it's like, dude, your life can change in a minute, you know, much like mine did. I mean, I just showed up to a field one day, taking pictures through a chain link fence, and the next day, I'm on the middle of that field, and my life changed forever. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was a fan in 1996, watching Derek Jeter cut his teeth, Mariano cut his teeth. Less than 10 years later. I'm on their airplanes, hanging out, having a, a great time. Se- we went in a World Series. We went in a World Series with the core four. So, 
you can change that quickly. So whatever you read, whatever you hear, whatever you watch, you know, you don't always have to subscribe, right? Yeah. So your time with the Yankees, what were some of your highlights? I'm sure that's flooded in your book, but um, World Series be at the top? You know, to, to win a World Series is an amazing thing. It's a lot of fun. It's it's an amazing ride. I mean, there's jump on the pile at the end. It's, of, yeah, it's yeah, yeah, yeah it's, champagne everywhere, it's yeah. all all over the place. Champagne all in your eyes. You know, it was <laughs> it was it was an amazing um, highlight. But I don't know if I would say it was actually the best part, right? Because you know what the best part is, and I, I said this on an interview last week. I said the best part is when you can call Derek Jeter your friend when you can call Andy Pettit your friend and they're calling you and you're going out to dinner and you're having a real relationship with people that goes way beyond the autograph it goes way beyond the picture and it goes way beyond the dog pile in 2009 mm -hmm. so the relationships that you build with players uh, and front office and, and those that are affiliated with the organization that's the best you are, you, are you still yeah. affiliated with baseball now? Do you do, you yeah. do any consulting yeah. or training? I still, I still work with players. I'm, I'm always readily available when players call. Um, you know, I get my name out there with a bunch of agents. Um, and, and the thing with baseball is, especially at the professional level, you know, once you get in, it's a fraternity. You know, and you don't know um, what will happen and when and when your phone may ring. And you also don't know if you're going to want to do it at that time. But but there's always an opportunity in the sport. It's a it's it's the old boys club, and when you're in, you're in. When you're out, you're out. So once you get in, you're in for life. Now, um, when you when you left the Yankees, was that a hard sort of transition into civilian life as far as every day goes? Yeah. Every well, day. yeah. What's interesting about it is like so I had um, I had five training facilities while I was still with the Yankees. I was building those out. And, um, you know, it was, uh, it gave me something to do when I, when I, when I got out officially. But the reality is like this, any, any sort of high profile job or gig, you know, you're institutionalized. Like your life is, you know, you, when the schedule comes out the year before for the following year, like, you know, I'm in Seattle here, I'm in LA here, I'm in Florida here. Like you just, you know, your life, it's very predictable for that following year. Mm. You also know that you get to the ballpark at one o'clock, you leave at 11. Some nights you fly out, you land. And so everything was very predictable. And when I got out, I was actually very bored mm -hmm. because you know there's a lot less glamor, there's a lot less lights, and it's just day-to-day -day living. And again, I said I was groomed as a 19-year-old in an organization that was you know, the best of the best. So you get out and you're like, okay, well, I have all this time on my hands because I'm used to working 15 hours a day. Yeah. Um, sometimes more with, with travel. So that's the difference. And, and the other big part is, um, see, what people don't realize in pro sports, it is raw, it is real, it's in your face, um, and and it's also a lot of fun. You know, it's like hanging out with. 25 of your best friends the locker room never changes over the, the years. the locker room never changes people say it changes and oh this doesn't happen in this locker room anymore <laughs> and that's a lie because locker rooms never change um no matter what level you're on right? no matter what level you're on and 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 when you lose that locker room culture and i'm i talk to players all the time now even andy pettit a couple weeks ago and my other buddy carl pavano the other night 
it's like, what do you miss most? And this is years later now. They all miss the locker room. They miss the friendships. And they missed, miss just the chronic ball breaking that goes yeah. on. Yeah. You know? That's the best part. And the laughter. Yeah, yeah that's why people stay like... Like the FDNY is a perfect example. Like, yeah. they love going to work. You know, aside from the fact that you know they could die, but they, it, when the downtime, they're just breaking balls. You know, the yeah. Whole time. There's that brotherhood that that exists, yeah. and that's that's it, it exists. I think because you could be honest with each other. Yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. many corporate places today and jobs, you know, they try to buy the attention of people by putting ping pong tables and all that kind of crap in the work setting. A bean bag. Yeah, chair. but it's like they don't they don't have that same camaraderie. Hammock. Right. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it can't be forced. Can't be forced. No, yeah. it's real. And and it only emerges when you can be real. Mm-hmm. So uh, after the Yankees, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, life immediately? What, what were you doing? What were you up to? Were you, you starting yeah, no, business I've, ventures? What, what was, yeah, it, what was I, life Were like? you looking to join another team? You know what? I had some, some offers to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, I, but I looked at it like this. You know, when you work for the Yankees, right, you know, that's, that's the standard. That's the best. That's the top. To go work somewhere else, you're kind of you're almost setting yourself up for disappointment. And I didn't look at it like I had to do it because I needed the job. I need a job. I didn't. I wasn't in that position where I had to act like that. Um, so I asked myself, what do you, you know? What do you want to do? And uh, you know, entrepreneurship and business was always something I enjoyed and I was always really into. So like I said, I was building out a, a franchise uh, of fitness uh, facilities. You opened up one on Long Island, right? I did. I had one in Port Jeff. I had one in. Uh, Port Washington and I had another one in Huntington and I had two in Westchester and uh, so I, I dug in on that and I applied all this extra time I had you know to that and I, I got about five in and I, I actually had this kind of wake up moment and I'm like I don't want to manage people Yeah. and I was doing a lot more managing of people and I, I didn't have any real relationships it was just managing my staff managing my staff and I wasn't in the trenches. So I kind of pivoted after that. And I said, all right, I need to get out of this. So your, your decision wasn't based on dollars and cents. It was based on you being happy with what you're doing. Right. So this is what I always tell people. You know, I, I'm definitely a capitalist in a lot of ways. You know, I like to work and I like to earn, much like everybody else. But, but I can't let those decisions dictate what I do because it'll... I, I mean, if I wanted to make money, I'd just go to Wall Street. You know, that's what I would do. That's, that's where money's made and money's lost. But, uh, but I, I don't let that drive my decision-making because I'll make bad decisions. Yeah. So I got out. It wasn't for me. And they were beautiful facilities. They were, they were pretty, pretty amazing, actually. It was the only facilities that you can go to that would give you the exact same care that a professional athlete would get from a rehabilitative standpoint, a training standpoint, and you were treated like cheater. That was kind of the, the tagline uh, cool. internally. But but I hated it. So I got out. And, um, you know, I lost a good amount of money in that venture. But uh, from there, it actually led me to doing other things, right? It, it allowed me to uh, figure out what my actual next step was. And I always loved coaching. I loved speaking. And, um, and I loved being around high performers. So that's what I actually do now. I train, um, not just physically train, but I, I, I put together the training programs, nutritional programs, and lifestyle management and life coaching programs for elite performers or those who aspire to be that in the world of business, finance, uh, and entrepreneurship. 
Now, what type of speaking engagements do you involve yourself with? Yeah, so like I, I speak for big companies and I speak for small companies. I did a big, um, you know, launch event in San Diego a couple months ago for Johnson & Johnson. Um, but I also speak to financial firms. I speak to small businesses that are that are looking to get more out of their people. So if there is a conference that somebody's hosting to get more out of their people, if there's a, a sales kickoff meeting where they want to get more out of their people, uh, or there's an organization that just says, hey, listen, my organization needs a kick in the butt, and um, they need actual strategy on how to get themselves going, that's, that's what I do. Now you just say, read my book. I, I, I actually, what's, inter what's interesting is this, I, the book. You're giving it all away now. Who's yeah, no, there's, there's a lot more real, there's more stories in the book. <laughs> but, um, but, the, but the book, like, like nobody becomes a champion by accident. I don't want people to understand that. Like you can't just show up and think all of a sudden, boom, magic's going to happen. Yeah. You know, that's, you I should. think a lot of people, especially in, in my generation, they all just go to college and they're like, they're expected to get a job right out of college. Oh, it's like I did my college thing and now everything is going to come to me. Yeah. Where's well, the job? Flow well, now, yeah, now you got people, they go to college, right? They try it. They give a job a try and they say, I don't really like that. Let me go back. Right? Yeah, yeah, Let me yeah. go back to school and then I'll try it again in a couple of years. And my, you know, my debt is now elevated even more. And, and really a lot of people... It's not that they don't like to work. I just think a lot of people are afraid. Yeah. You know, they because what happens sometimes they set up these expectations for themselves that hey, like when I graduate, you know, I'm gonna be able to get the house I want, the car I want, I'm gonna have the money I want, I'm gonna have the prestige mm -hmm. um, that I want, and it it takes a really long time to get that. Like that's the last stuff you get. Ultimately, you have to spend most of your time, you know. Not getting kicked in the ass, right. you know, and 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 grind, grinding it out, not working 24/7, but grinding it out in that the work that you have to do initially to build anything, including your own life, is not fun. It's the tedious stuff that everybody hates. And you got to eat shit. And you got to eat shit. But when you break through that phase, and that's all business is, it's just breaking through phases. That's what life is. It's breaking through phases and not quitting on yourself. That's when you have your best chance for success. But you got to keep going, you know, and, and I, I was talking to a young lady yesterday who works for a big media company. And I said, you just have to have directionality, right? Focus on where you want to go and take a step and take another step and take another step. But it sounds cliche, but literally take out your planner and write one thing yeah. you're going to do today that takes you closer to goal. If you're if you're visualizing a goal. Your actions and behaviors and decision making are gonna feed funnel toward that goal. If you, if you, if that's, but you need to have something in mind. You have to have something. In Otherwise, mind. you're just groping in the dark. And, and you know what, too? Sometimes you don't have anything in mind, so don't pressure yourself. So yeah. many times, too, like young people, older people, they're like, "I'm stuck," and it's like, "Well, don't." But but if you are stuck, all you should do is try different things and say, "Okay, what did I like?" Right? So mm -hmm. so walk up to the buffet. And take a little chicken, take a little beef, have a little rice, and say, you know what? I like the chicken better than the beef. Yeah. Oh, but this fish is better than both. Let me have more fish. And keep going after that. So you got to, nobody's ever really stuck. Mm -hmm. You're just, you're in a pause period where you're not doing anything. So try things. And don't put the pressure on yourself when you're in that phase. Right, I'm, right. I'm, I'm in a trial phase. Right, otherwise you can go into a downward spiral. If now you're being hard on yourself. Because yeah. you don't feel good. Exactly. <laughs> what the hell is that? Exactly. Right? <laughs> exactly. And that's, that's, that is what it is. Sometimes yeah. we don't feel great. And, and again, like I said, life is phases. You know, I blasted off like a rocket ship. 
you know, I was 19, you know, to 31, I was with the Yankees. And then I slowed down and then I built this business up and then the business went down and then I built this up. So it's like, I look at it like I'm, I'm just a, I'm a builder. Right. I just, as long as I'm building, I'm feel, I feel good about myself. Right, right. I, I talk I, often about building and like, there's a lot of stress that goes along with, you know, running a company, you know, trying to be a visionary, trying to fulfill goals, but, um, but it's all constructive stress. I tell people it's it's building. If you're building something and you run into a roadblock, you're still building. Yeah. You know, you're not walking off the set. You're not walking off the job site. Real stress is waiting for some sort of medical test to come back. You that's, know. That's the real. That's the real stress. I had one of my clients. He, you know, he ran a successful uh, memorabilia company, and he said if it could be fixed with money, it's not stress. Yeah. I like that. Even if you don't have the money. Right. I like that. If a lot. it could be fixed with it, it's not stress. Perfect. You know, even Steve Jobs, he wrote that whole last thing in his dying words. You know, you can't have you can't have someone carry the disease for you. You know, yeah, yeah you can't pay somebody to carry it. You know, so. And you were saying, um, as far as your work with CEOs and and uh, and business people, you were saying that the advice you give them and the 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 emotional sort of roller coaster that they're on is pretty much the same whether you got two employees or you're managing billion dollar companies right? right yeah i mean i've i've met guys you know that have this the same they run massive companies and they have the same issues in terms of you know stress and mindset and limitations um that uh a startup would have you know how do i get my more out of my people you know how do i get them to be more like x hmm. you know how do i get more productivity out of you know how do i make every dollar spend like five so it's the same problems right but they're not really problems. They just come with the game. Yeah, you had said something earlier um, about what a mindfuck it could be when you're a business owner, how you could just mindfuck yourself. And yeah. what do you think some of the biggest problems business owners have when they, when they do find themselves in ruts or running off the rails in some way or the other? Well, that's like well, my role with a lot of these you know, leaders is simple. It's like I work as their personal coach and sounding board to help them basically simplify their own thoughts because we get into these deep spirals when things aren't going exactly to our plan. We start to get nervous and we start to freak out because I think what drives a lot of people that run businesses is, is they play a lot more defense than offense than they think, right? They're trying not to lose money or they're trying to be successful so they don't have to be not successful. Um, so everything's kind of that catch-22. But just really the, the common theme that I see amongst a lot of the, the guys that I work with is they just need reassurance that they're on the right path. Mm. Even if they know it, and I'm talking to some people that are brilliant, you know, guys that have gone to Wharton, guys that have that are Harvard. Um, and I, I basically went to the University of South Florida, which is, you know, a, uh, a state school. And, but, but I've always realized that it doesn't matter where you go to school. It matters how you see the world and how you're able to simplify things for even the most complicated of minds. Good stuff. As far as uh, book writing goes, is there another one in the in the works? Or, or so I yeah, interesting enough. I just I actually just wrote a kids book. So I, I I'm starting a series called Champion Kids, and the first uh, book is called Johnny the Jet Saves the Day, and I, it's going to be a series that kind of goes along my with my adult books. But I realized if I can start to help kids address. Um, some of the things that these adults are dealing with now mm -hmm. at mm -hmm. young ages Brilliant. and give them storyline that's real and it's not just again a, like a happy-go-lucky book but it's a, a journey book you know that's about 30 pages that 
that they could read to themselves as they become more proficient or that the parent could read to them. That's something for me that, that, uh, that's, that's super important. But I do have a, um, after I wrote Habits of a Champion, I had a lot of people reach out to me, sales organizations, you know, people that run conferences, people that run big businesses. And they said, you know, this book is great for individuals, but like, what can I do for my team? How can I bring my team closer together? Cool. So I, I have a book, I'm, uh, it's in the editing process now, it's called Habits of a Champion Team, to go literally paired up with that. That's awesome. Yeah. Nice. So now the, the kids' books, would they like each installment be like a chapter from your book where you learn a lesson, you learn well, about being fit to win? So, the, so this, for, for instance, was this, a, a this, chapter title for the listener. The, I don't do any chapters with the kids' book because it's, uh, it's an illustrated book. Right. But so it's a, instead of a chapter, like a chapter in a book like this, maybe 10 uh, oh pages. Oh, no, I, I might have missed some. Like, it, you'll say, if, you know, every chapter in your book yeah. for the listener is like, you know, basically a habit. Right. Um, I didn't know how you, if, if the children's books were going to be so I did this it, in one or what. Yeah, the, 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 the kids' books are more themes. Hmm. So, like, this first book... Is, is, is about bullying and leadership, right? So bullying's a big thing, so is leadership. I said, let me pair it up mm. and show them how this baseball player could go head-to-head with the bully and, turn the, and weaken the bully by actually bringing the bully onto his baseball team and, nice. and getting that kid to channel his negative thoughts and negative growth experience or experience growing up into something positive like playing baseball and being a part of a team for the first time so he doesn't have to be a bully that just aggravates people and causes problems. So that's one theme. The next one is is coming out. Uh, it'll come out around the holidays, and it's going to be called uh, "Girls on the Run," and it's about a, a a girl soccer team. And this one girl who happens to be my niece, um, you know, goes to sleep one night, and she has this. You know, her brothers are picking on her, and she has this dream of being a soccer star. And and her job is to teach girls to actually play together, and not compete against each other. And, and showing the strength of a team versus an individual. Mm. But you can't forget that individuals make up teams. So that's, that's the next one. Did you ever think cool. that you were going to get into writing while you were doing all of your strength and conditioning? No, but you know what? I, I've actually, for years, before when I, was, when I first started with the Yankees, I had a blog for like three years that I would write. And then when I was at the team, What I, was it about? I, what was the blog based about? Just about leadership stuff and, uh, and training. And I stopped that when I was with the team because I needed I just was like I'm, I'm all in I got to focus here on this and then I actually like I was training Phil Hughes one of our pitchers a couple years ago in California and I was so bored like in the morning because I would get up super early on I stayed on New I thought York Phil time. Hughes was boring you <laughs> no, no 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 he's definitely not boring but, um, but I would get up super early and I had nothing to do so because I stayed on New York time so I'd write this I started this blog now three, three plus years ago uh, I started it back up so I write, I actually write almost every day. What's the name of the blog? So I call it the Train Like a Pro blog. It's on my website, DanaCavalier.com, and I write it Monday through Friday. And it's about a 90-second read. That's usually a, a story with a, with a lesson. And it's really meant um, to just kind of kick you in the butt and get you going for the day. Cool. It's like, how do you start your day with, with one positive thought and then keep that your theme for the day? And that's on your website? Yeah, DanaCavalier.com. Every day, and Monday through Friday? Monday through Friday. In the upper right, off? it says blog. Three-day weekend? Some days, you miss like, like honestly, today I didn't write it mm-hmm. because um, I just feel like I, I wanted to take a day off from it today. Sure. That's you know? chapter 
it's chapter three in your yeah. book, right? And I, I off days are off days. Exactly. I could force it and like oh, yeah. just put one together, but but I have a pretty a pretty large following on there. That's how you I, blow an arm, though, right? Yeah. And I said, you know what? I don't want to just write for the sake of writing to these people. Like, <laughs> I'm happy that they read it most days. Yeah. I don't want to waste their time. So if I'm not into it, how could I expect them to be? Right. So I, I didn't do it today, but we'll be back. We'll be back tomorrow. <laughs> Very good. Yeah. Uh, in the last couple minutes that we're wrapping it up here, um, you grew up in Mount Sinai. You still have connections here to Long Island? Do you, do you visit here often? Yeah. I always say, you know, when you grow up on Long Island, you're forever connected. So uh, I do spend a lot of time here on Long Island. I spend a lot of time in Florida as well. Um, so I will always be connected here. And um, You're rooted. I'm rooted on what I call Strong Island. <laughs> and uh, I'm rooted here for, for many reasons, not just because I grew up here, but, but I feel like I developed a, a mindset and an attitude that uh, I say is somewhat indestructible because of the uh, area in which we grew up where you're used to taking bullets in different ways, you know? Mm -hmm. You know, you, you grow up, I feel a little bit tougher with thicker skin and, um, and you become a little bit hardened in a good way, you know? So that, that's, that's why, I've, like, Long Island is uh, always in your soul. It's kind of like Billy Joel, you know? Everyone <laughs> knows where he's from. <laughs> and I, and I uh, try to represent the island well wherever i go yeah they say we get sand in our shoes yeah we get sand in our shoes and um i mean what a what a what a great place right yeah, yeah. it's one of the few places in this country where you could be brutally honest with another person and they still like you <laughs> <laughs> yes it's true i remember i was on a conference call one of my old companies with uh, these guys from colorado and one of us cracked a joke during the conference call and it just got quiet and then the guy goes ah and this one guy actually grew up on Long Island. He's like, I've been away from the island in, in a long time. I, he's like, you got me. My, my quick wit has kind of gone away a little bit. Yeah, it's a special <laughs> place, man. I mean, it's hard to find this kind of uh, just just openness. Yeah. You know, it's it's just very in your face. It's real. And, and that's, again, I, I think there's a craving for that, especially, too, like having been on the the professional speaker scene for a lot of years and mm. you know you go hear these motivational speakers and they're you know they have perfect tone and they have perfect language yeah. and they have perfect everything yet they're imperfect just like everybody else mm. you know so i've always felt like bringing that realness to to the stage or to the television when i'm on it is is a great thing it's hey. funny like you i'm sorry nick uh you traveled so much when you were with the yankees that you got to experience like when you grow up in Long Island, you spend 99% of your time here. You don't, maybe you went away to school in Maryland or something, but you don't really see the differences between how we behave toward one another and how pretty much probably the rest of the country does. Yeah, oh, so that's, that's true. And, and your contextual, your, your experiential knowledge has to be, you know, oh, off the to charts. To totally. I have a buddy of mine that actually, he's from here, he moved to Maryland, and he's like, man, when Long Island people come to Maryland, it's like, it's like, like people that just got off the boat. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a very different, very, very different set of values yeah, and viewpoints, yeah. and it's very distinct. It, and and I, I lived in Westchester for for quite some time, and even Stanford, Connecticut. And it's like there is a definite difference. I was at a wedding this past week of my cousins that are in Connecticut, and and we show up. You know, my parents leading the charge, and it's like stood out like a sore thumb. <laughs> Yeah, I was talking to one guy who who grew up in the Midwest. I said something, and 
He goes, Mike, I grew up in the Midwest. He's like, I, I never even seen the inside of someone else's living room. You know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, he's like, it's not like Long Island. We just hang out at each other's houses all the time. Yeah, I know the Midwest. They do a lot of, like, garage hangouts. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, flip the garage open and hang. Yeah, it's about the extent. Yeah, exactly. God forbid someone sees your master bedroom. <laughs> master bedroom, what? We're all over the place. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's in, true. In addition to your uh, blog, uh, what are other ways people could find you, your, your other website? Yeah, so um, my books are all on uh, Amazon, and they're also on DanaCavalier.com. So that's pretty much my home base. I have a YouTube channel, all that stuff, but, um, you know, I'm, I'm, Facebook, I'm, Instagram, Twitter, all that Facebook, stuff. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. I, I try to do my best with that, but uh, I try to spend most of my time living in real life. Yeah, and uh, I, I get behind the digital ones and twos, you know, a little bit every day. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, now, this stuff will take over your life if you let it. Yeah, you know, especially, too, because you want to make sure that, you know, you're always like, am I doing this well? Am I good enough at this? And I just realized, you know what, every day you go out, if you can meet one or two people, You'll have your best. You'll have your best shot to do to do great things. And and even today, like for me, my relationships that I build and people I meet, I'll be amazed at people I met 10 years ago that that even today, I have like amazing relationships with, and they've developed through the years. And and those are the people that that provide you different business opportunities, mm-hmm. um, you know, experiences, going to different events and games. So, you know, your relationships are everything. And 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 you can actually build relationships outside of your computer. Or, uh, or phone. Excellent reminder to people. Yeah, don't think, forget that. Yeah, I think that's a great segue. Dana, thank you so much for, for joining us on the Thanks, 495 guys. Podcast, hanging out in Port Jefferson at the Steam Room. Got a big shout-out to them. Roger, he's awesome for letting us do that. This is the 495 Podcast, real people doing real things, and you were 100% authentic and real today, hanging out and letting it all let it all come out. So appreciate that. And Thank uh, you. For anybody who wants to listen to more episodes, you can catch us on everything pretty much. Spotify, Spotify, Apple iTunes, all that good stuff. We'll talk to you soon. Excellent. Thanks, guys. I've ever felt before in my current state and in these days of war. We must grow together or the end is near. Thicken up your skin and loosen up your fears. I've been waiting, waiting, waiting through my limitations, choosing to move.